As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. As the president drops the mic on his trip to Europe, wrapping a summit of Nordic nations following the NATO summit with a message that Russia cannot sustain years of war in Ukraine. The answer is Putin's already lost the war. Putin has a real problem. How does he move from here? What does he do? And so the idea that there's going to be what vehicle is used, he could end the war tomorrow. He could just say, I'm out. But what agreement is ultimately reached depends upon Putin and uh, what he decides to do. But there, there is no possibility of him winning the war in Ukraine. He's already lost that war. That sound from a news conference ending the Nordic summit, he's back on Air Force One heading home and questions that bring me to the column from Charlie Cook just a few days ago. Don't expect a Reagan-esque bounce for Biden. Like the 40th president, he writes, Biden may enjoy an economic rebound by the time his reelection rolls around, but today's voters are less inclined to give him credit for it. How about the trip? How about any of it? With approval ratings, depending on the poll you're looking at, the upper 30s, low 40s, Engaged in a re-election campaign with a lot of questions about how this is going to play out. And that's why we love the opportunity to talk with Charlie Cook, the founder and contributor to the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter, legendary political analyst here on Bloomberg Radio. Charlie, it's great to have you. Will there be a bounce? Keep talking, Joe. I'm enjoying hearing that. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, there's just President, President Biden has been, I mean, if look at use the Gallup poll just since Labor Day of last year. He's been basically within three points of 40 percent, uh, 40, 41. And, and uh, there's just not much elasticity there because Democrats aren't going to, you know, in terms of approval, Democrats are not going to abandon him and Republicans are not going to approve of him. And so the only leeway you have is that little five to 15 percent that are pure independence. And to the extent that if the economy really starts turning around and inflation gets tamed, it looks like they're getting more and more concerned about his age and his health. Hmm. And so that could be, you know, partially or completely in an offset. Did you make the fact he didn't attend the dinner the other night? I saw split screens on social media of him on the beach over the weekend before he took off. Republicans really do want to paint him as too old and too senile and incompetent. Isn't that what a trip like this is supposed to offset? Yeah, I mean, the part of the problem is that, I mean, if you put uh, President Biden and former President Trump uh, uh, and had them both do a 100-yard dash, my guess is that Biden would probably win. <laughs> right. But the thing is, it's more apparent in politics. Appearance is more 
important than than reality. And he just looks old for his age. He looks older, you know, almost every time you see him. And and he does have that frail look. Mm. So and and keep let's keep in mind that uh, President Reagan was 77, a couple of days away from his 78th birthday when he left office. And a lot of people were concerned that that was too old. So right. um, <laughs> this is um, it, it's um, it's it's not a good situation to be in, particularly if people have a lot of questions about your vice president as well. Boy, that's a whole other thing I'd like to ask you about. Uh, but with regard to the economy, we got the CPI yesterday that you know Wall Street threw a big party. They said, boy, the Fed's done its work here. looks like we're winding things down. We've maybe won the war on inflation, or at least we see a path to winning it. You extend that idea into next year, Charlie, after a, a bunch more indicators, job reports, and you might see an economy that actually is at 2% inflation. Maybe they could claim credit for winning this war. Then again, there are forecasts of us going into a recession right now. So it's hard to see how this plays out for the incumbent. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I think it'd be foolish for anybody to, you know, break out a mission accomplished banner. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and we're in a situation and gosh knows the Bloomberg radio audience would be extremely sophisticated, economically sophisticated people. But it's almost like any time you get good news, there are negative aspects to it and vice versa. So that if inflation is coming down, it may be a sign that the economy is uh, is coming down as well. And and that, you know, there's a linkage to all these things. And and what is the Fed going to do? And if uh, uh, everything has the potential of exacerbating something else. And so it creates a huge economic problem. But politically speaking, um, there, that that people are sort of stuck in a really uh, uh, depressed, down way, and it's really kind of hard to get people to think that things are turning around when, um, you know, it's it's a you know I guess public opinion is very lagging on this, and uh, so I'm not expecting it to turn uh, attitudes about the economy to turn around anytime soon. Which is a massive liability for somebody looking uh, to be rehired for the job here. Uh, Charlie, we're going to start hearing about fundraising. Uh, We heard from Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis early on, but of course, President Biden is raising money, too. Uh, What are you hearing about how he's doing, knowing that he doesn't have to blow money on the primaries? He's actually saving for the general election right now. Yeah, I I don't get too wrapped up about fundraising anymore because both sides have you know, more money than they know what to do with. There's a law of diminishing returns in campaign spending. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt that both sides will be uh, uh, way past that point where, you know, there's there's a whole lot of utility and additional spending. So I don't, um, um, I mean, you know, whether it's whether it's uh, it's President Biden or somebody else, they'll have plenty mm-hmm. of money, as will President Trump, former President Trump or Ron DeSantis or anybody else. They'll have plenty of money. So I, I wouldn't. <laughs> and also, the higher the visibility of the audience, the less important spending it or the, the rate, the higher the visibility of the race, the less important spending is because people are familiar with the candidates. They you know, it's in the, it, it, when you get into down ballot races is where spending um, actually can be, you know, more, more influential in the outcome. Mm-hmm. Well, it does matter if you're trying to get on a debate stage, of course. And if we can look at the Republican oh. side of things, I'd be curious your view here, because we learned today uh, that former Governor Chris Christie 
and Senator Tim Scott have both crossed the threshold, the number of donors needed, 40,000, uh, the minimum needed necessary to qualify for the first Republican debate next month. We know, of course, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis uh, at least could be on that stage. If they wanted to be, both are threatening to boycott it. Do you have a sense of uh, what that stage is going to look like in August? Well, if, 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 if former President Trump does not participate in the debate, the question is, will the debate, I mean, Will anybody, you know, it's like the tree falling in the woods right. and nobody hears it. Uh, um, I, I think the, the ratings would be through the floor. Very few people would probably watch it, to be honest. And so I don't see, uh, uh, I'm kind of doubtful that that Trump will appear. I'm kind of doubtful that the debate will have, you know, any meaningful impact on the race if he's not there. Um, if actually, if he was there, I don't know if it'd have a big impact on the race. I mean, I think he's got this nomination. I wouldn't want to say locked up, but pretty darn close to locked up because he just has so many advantages here that it's it's pretty. And there's so many other people chewing up, you know, the uh, space there that there's no there's hard for any of these people to get any traction. Yeah, right. Uh, latest numbers that were are out today from Morning Consult give him 56% to Ron DeSantis's 17%. And we should note, as we always try to, this is July 7th through 9, uh, 3,600 potential Republican primary voters, which we like to see instead of the, you know, the, the a couple hundred so-called adults. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy jumps to third place with 8%. Is this just all noise at this stage of the game, Charlie, or do you read into these? I, I think so. And and uh, and that 8%, a, you know, it's a point ahead of, of, of Pence. But yeah. basically you've got, you've got, uh, uh, you've got Trump, you know, in the low 50s. Mm-hmm. You've got DeSantis dropping now down into the teens and everybody else in single, you know, is basically in single digits and, and most of them low single digits. So, um, but it's 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 you know when you when you've got a party that uh, where Trump seems to almost have a trance over uh, has the Republican Party in a trance where they're in this bubble where they don't really believe the substance of the allegations or they think it's all politically motivated or they think that everybody does it uh, or some combination or they're in a news bubble that they're watching, listening, reading news that is uh, uh, awfully conservative. And oftentimes uh, they're not really, you know, they're hearing it downplayed if it's talked about at all. So this just, you know, all of Trump's problems just aren't penetrating. And plus there's sort of the um, an attack on any of us is an attack on all of us. And uh, that 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 galvanizes uh, Republicans around him, um, Mm -hmm. even if Deep down, they do have some reservations about, uh, you know, character and things like that. Well, if you do think, I mean, if we're, we're saying 56 percent is a trance. I get that. And I know that you see noise in these numbers. It's very early on. We're talking about a national poll. We can poke a lot of holes in this. But momentum is something. Uh, and what we're seeing from Trump in terms of momentum, noteworthy, but also Ron DeSantis falling uh, pretty sharply in a lot of polls that we've seen over the last month. Do you buy into that narrative? Yeah, I, I mean, I think part of it was um, he. I think he he started off this year, I think, somewhat overrated. I mean, that that clearly Trump got uh, 
uh, dinged a bit from the midterm election outcome, and I think fairly appropriately, and it kind of depressed his support level. Yeah. And at the same time, DeSantis won re-election by a wider margin than expected, so that kind of pumped him up. But after a month or two of that, it sort of reverted to the main and went back to where it was where it was before. And also, um, it, it's hard to it's hard to beat somebody that you won't attack, you know, a, a front runner that, that you're not willing to attack. And yet, if you do attack, you're going to alienate um, all these uh, people that, um, you know, the 75, 80 percent of Republicans that have a favorable opinion of him. Yeah, right. And so um, it, it really is kind of unrealistic for these people to expect to be able to win if they're not going to attack. And if they attack, it's probably counterproductive. So, um I wouldn't want to be managing one of these uh, other campaigns. <laughs> well, uh, ask Chris Christie's campaign manager here, because if Ron DeSantis is having trouble winning over the electorate, Christie uh, actually wins uh, the war on who's uh, liked least here in this morning consult poll. Almost half of potential primary voters hold unfavorable views of the former governor of New Jersey. He's only got 26 percent of view him favorably. That's a deep hole to dig out of. What do you make of it? Well, you know, I'm not sure there's I mean, I went over to went to New Hampshire for uh, Christie's announcement and, mm -hmm. you know, he was fun to watch. He did a nice job. But the thing about it is I'm not sure that the party that Chris Christie and some of these other people are talking to. I don't know that it really exists anymore because the change the, that we're going through a realigning period and that the Republican Party is going more downscale. It's going more populist. And it, it it likes what and how uh, Donald Trump, you know, acts and what he says and behaves is so that, you know, in the old kind of party, uh, you'll, you're going to have Rick Davis on in a couple of minutes mm -hmm. in the party that, you know, he ran a campaign for 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 John McCain. Um, that party doesn't exist anymore. The Bob Dole, the George H.W., George W. Bush, mm -hmm. uh, that that party, as it was constituted in those days, doesn't exist anymore. Incredible. What's the likelihood that Charlie Cook is writing columns about a no labels or third party candidate next year? Well, I don't know what the you know, I, I don't know if no labels has any impact whatsoever. It's going to hurt Biden. I mm. can't come up with any scenario that it would that it would hurt Donald Trump or any other Republican. And for that matter, Cornell West as well. And, you know, if we were talking a national popular vote, you were talking about national polls a while ago, those things are they're, they're basically even right now. The last uh, I think there have been 13 national polls out since the first of June and Trump was ahead in five. Biden was ahead in five and three of them were tied. Uh, and the average is basically tied. But uh, that's not, you know, ask Hillary Clinton or Al Gore. That's not how you decide who wins. <laughs> and it's in the Electoral College. And that's where the Republican vote is just so much more efficiently allocated because Democrats waste a lot of a lot of votes. I mean, running up the score, winning California by five million yeah, votes, yeah. winning New York State by two million, you know, Massachusetts, Illinois, Maryland by over a million each. Yep. Once you have one more vote than the other guy, you're wasting votes and it shows up in these national polls, but doesn't mean squat in terms of winning 270 electoral votes. Well, I know a lot of Democrats are awfully worried about it, and uh, we'd love to have you back as soon as we can. Charlie Cook, this is Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Should we be surprised that Chris Christie has the highest unfavorables on the Republican primary trail after seeing his performance? Before the Faith and Freedom Conference here in Washington, D.C., just about a month ago. He has let us down because he's unwilling. He's unwilling to take responsibility for any of the mistakes that were made, any, uh, any of the faults that he has, and any of the things that he's done. And that is not leadership, everybody. That is a failure of leadership. That's the moment right there. And I, you can boo all you want. Well, But here's the thing. Our faith teaches us that people have to take responsibility for what they do. People have to stand up and take accountability for what they do. Okay, and so the morning consult poll comes out today and you see the numbers. Maybe you heard us talking about it with Charlie Cook here. Widely disliked among the GOP electorate. Uh, Half, almost half of potential Republican primary voters, 46% unfavorable. That's compared with 26% of you unfavorably. Why don't we just jump off right here with our panel? Bloomberg Politics contributor and Republican strategist Rick Davis, aforementioned by Charlie Cook, is with us along with Roger Fisk, principal at New Day Strategies. Great to have both of you here. Rick, what do you make of that? Is Chris Christie just seen as a spoiler? Uh, yeah, he's kind of the suicide bomber of this uh, GOP field, right? I mean, he's going to take himself down in the process of trying to take Trump down. I mean, you got to remember, he wasn't that popular to begin with. I mean, you know, he's kind of a discredited, you know, governor of New Jersey, wasn't mainstream. He hugged, you know, Barack Obama. I mean, there were tons of negatives already piled up on him. And and so the fall from grace wasn't very fall, far. And uh but like the role he's got now is is one that frankly the rest of the field really appreciates because he spends every waking hour, you know, going after Trump and most of these guys don't have I would say the guts to do it. And so, you know, whether he has any impact, there's no real discernible impact right now. You don't see Trump's negatives going up. He's kind of a a made guy in the in the public mind. Um, you know, you really wonder whether or not this, you know, suicide bomber routine is going to actually be helpful. Roger, back in 2016, and I know there are other campaigns where you can point to this, and we had that stage of, you know, 17 Republicans, 
at the beginning of the campaign, everybody got a month. There was Herman Cain month. Of course, there was eventually more than Donald Trump month. But there was a Chris Christie month. He actually had a moment when he was peaking there. Will he experience that in this campaign? Well, first off, Joe, thanks so much for having me on and having me on with Rick. Uh, I would argue that Chris Christie's month actually occurred back in 2012 when he when the national Republican machinery was really looking to him uh, to, to run and, and he decided not to, which is another example of how elusive and difficult to measure, but precious the, the art of timing is. In American politics, um, for example, Barack Obama famously had only been a U.S. senator for two years when he decided to run. But when you have the national establishment coming to you kind of saying, like, you have a window here, yep. you're very well served to listen to that. Um, he's banking it all on New Hampshire, uh, clearly, to, to focus in on your on your on your Chris Christie specific question. There's probably. Normally, there would have been three tickets out of Iowa. I think there's probably two now. And I don't think that second ticket is going to be populated by anyone that actually served or prominently endorsed the former president. It's going to be someone like a Tim Scott or someone like that that isn't directly connected with the Trump trajectory. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned Tim Scott. Rick, you saw this news today. The senator from South Carolina and the aforementioned Chris Christie. Uh, have each announced that they've got the donors, the 40,000 donors, to cross that threshold to get on the debate stage uh, next month. I don't know if you expected both of them to get there, but we've got at least four candidates now we know can can be on the stage. How important is this news for, for each of their campaigns? Yeah, look, it's 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 good news. Um, uh, you would expect Tim Scott to do it. He's had been an active fundraiser throughout his Senate career. Uh, he's got a great fundraising operation. Chris Christie had to start from scratch, uh, so it's a little surprising that he was able to make the cut. Uh, but he's not without his resources, and there are a lot of anti-Trump people who want to bank Christie into this debate, even though Trump might not be on it. Uh, so. Uh, I think it's I think it's really good news for Christie. It gives him a little bit more buoyancy in his campaign with otherwise. I agree with Roger. I mean, you know, the, the sun kind of set on him in 2012. I think that's a really good analysis. And uh, hmm. and yet, you know, we're talking about him today. So that's a good day in the Chris Christie campaign. <laughs> well, I guess so. If you keep shooting from the hip, somebody's going to mention it. Uh, how about this debate stage? Uh, Roger, what what's your gut say? How many candidates actually show up for this debate? Well, first, let me let me focus on a tactical element, if I may, which is I would I would have counseled a campaign not to announce that they made this threshold. That's essentially like me putting out a press release that I did one push up or something. <laughs> okay. You know, the idea that you want to go out and, and and say that you measured, you know, essentially knee high to a flea. I would have just been like, oh, of course, we were always going to be in the debate. What are you talking about? And just <laughs> and just brush it off, because what you don't want to do at this point is do anything that reinforces the idea that you're in this kind of bottom tier or what, you know, is when you look at the far left and the far right of these large debate stages is sometimes called the kids table because they tend to stack people towards the center. Um, so I think it was a tactical mistake on their part. And then again, it, it, it will end up being eight, 10, 11, 12 people. And then everyone will be looking for that moment. And oddly enough, Chris Christie, who um, criticized Marco Rubio for having a canned comment, is de- definitely going to have a couple canned comments in, in himself. Then the question is, is what does the national conversation pick up and run with for the 24 to 48 hours after that first debate? We talked about these uh, headline numbers from the morning consult poll with Charlie Cook. Uh, Rick, Donald Trump at 56 percent. Uh, Charlie described him as having uh, 
the electorate in a in a trance, the Republican electorate in a trance. Are you as convinced by this lead as he is? You know, look, I think you got to the other point Charlie Cook made, uh, which is, you know, this is not the uh, camp, you know, the Republican electorate that, you know, I knew back in 2008 is exactly right. I mean, this is a much more sort of, you know, white, rural, uh, male oriented uh, and the Trump uh, electorate is, you know, uh, less educated. And I don't mean that as a negative. I mean, you know, you, you want you know, white blue collar voters, the Democrats won a lot of elections with them, you know, who don't have college educations. But when you split this sample, you know, in the morning console poll and you say, you know, who's looking for an option within even the Donald Trump supporters, the ones who have college educations, mostly suburban voters, still Republicans, which is amazing, um, two to one say they they want an option to Donald Trump. So there's actually a, a opportunity within these numbers. It's not just a flat, you know, uh, the party, uh, a majority of the party wants Donald Trump to be the nominee, just like in the Democratic Party, where a majority of the party doesn't want the president yeah. to be the nominee. So right. uh, there's there's some, you know, sunshine in there for the rest of this field. But but they got to find a way to pull those voters off of Trump and onto themselves. Roger, you waking up at night. Losing sleep over this no labels idea. I mean, it w- it would be cataclysmic. Whoever would embark on that would have to know that the the the, the fate of the Western Democratic experiment would largely um, sit on their conscience and be waiting for them on Judgment Day. No hyperbole. Uh, he, he, no, none at all. Uh, but it, it would be, it would be, um, I think, tremendously unwise. And neither can I necessarily see. Uh, you know, when when Ross Perot ran and things like that, there were people out there chanting in the streets for a third party. I don't I don't see that. I don't see that appetite in the national conversation because it's become much more binary and much more tribal to, to build on some of Rick's points. Um, but I, I think the backlash to someone who would embark on that, I certainly don't envision Joe Manchin doing it, um, would okay. be significant. And the the only the only motivation for someone to embark on something like that would be similar to the the reasons why we were speculating um, uh, around Chris Christie entering this, which is really to torpedo someone already in the race, because it's certainly not a legitimate exercise that would be focused on winning. Got less than a minute, Rick. Is there anyone who would actually do it? Larry Hogan's floating around Joe Manchin. No one's actually raising their hand and volunteering, though. Well, you know, Manchin's a dead man walking politically, right? I mean, like he's so far behind in West Virginia. He's looking for a job. And and he and John Huntsman, a sometimes nominal Republican, <laughs> yes. you know, are standing together this weekend in uh, doing a town New hall. Hampshire doing yep. a town hall, you know, sponsored by no labels. So, look, I mean, I, I totally agree with Roger, but. But the reality is, I don't think No Labels is listening to any of this kind of input. And they're, 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 they are they're a wrecking crew ready to, you know, sort of destroy Western uh, politics as we know it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you both agree on this. It's always good to know the end of the world is near. Our great panel, Roger Fisk and Rick Davis, are back with their view on the president's trip abroad and his own fundraising prowess. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. President Biden on his way home from the big trip. Two summits, one trip, and a visit to the U.K. while he was at it. Pretty successful for NATO, unless you're Vladimir Putin. Well, maybe he would even agree on that as they added Sweden. Cleared through a bunch of red tape, got F-16s, it looks like, to Turkey. President speaking from abroad before his trip home. There is no question. There's overwhelming support from the American people. There's overwhelming support from the members of the Congress, both House and Senate. In both parties, notwithstanding the fact there's some extreme elements of one party, we will stand together. With Ukraine and as an alliance, a lot of questions about the way he handled Ukraine, the entry potentially of that nation, I guess would be number 33. Uh, but look, this when it comes down to it, we've been talking about campaigning all hour here. This is the one thing that nobody else can do is, you know, fly around the world. You see that shot last night of Air Force One landing in Helsinki with the sunset behind him. Any candidate would pay for that. And so we reassembled our panel for their take on it. Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Republican strategist. Roger Fisk is with us today, too. Former aide to President Obama, the president of New Day Strategy, Democratic analyst. Uh, Roger, I'll start with you on this because uh, you've got the Democratic view. Are you proud of the president here? There were questions about... Uh, his ability to get through a trip like this, and I know he skipped a dinner, was criticized for it, but what, what kind of a grade would you give him? I think this is an A-plus across the board, and, and especially when you look at it through the lens of the, 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 the location of the press conference that happened earlier was the exact same place um, where the former president had a, a press conference and, and uh, famously... Um, didn't believe the U.S. intelligence services and took the side of Putin. So as a reflective surface, you really couldn't ask for more. And in terms of substance and in terms of I somewhat lightly referenced the Democratic experiment, but now the the NATO line of defense runs the entirety of Europe. Um, and that's a very, very real thing. And that should be celebrated by by everyone in this country. Hmm. Um, and it and it sends a strong message uh, to the authoritarians in the world. Uh, and it's also interesting to see Erdogan somewhat come into the fold and realize that he needs to not just be a NATO member in word, but also a NATO member in deed. Yeah. We started this hour, uh, Rick Davis, by asking, where's the Reagan-esque bounce 
does this do anything for the president in the campaign? You know, it depends on what he does with it. Uh, I, I think that that the jury's still out as to whether or not he's going to get much credit for this. Although I think today he cleaned up a lot. I'm, I, I do disagree with Roger. This A plus I give him like a B plus. Um, they stepped all over their message, you know, at uh, NATO by kind of, you know, miss messaging the uh, Ukrainian ascension into NATO. Hmm. And and he got back onto it today by declaring, you know, that Putin had already lost the war. And I, I think he's right about that. You think about, as Roger was saying, five years ago, you know, Putin was on the stage with the president. The president was kowtowing to Putin. Putin was at his height, really, in his in his global acceptance. And and then today, you know, uh, the president says, you know, this this guy's lost a war in Ukraine. He's a he's a international war criminal. I mean, you couldn't get a bigger fall from grace in five years. <laughs> he's got to actually take that to a campaign phase. Right. He, I mean, where's the ad that's going to go up tomorrow contrasting, you know, Biden, you know, with Trump five years ago? I mean, yeah. it, this is powerful stuff if they can can it right. Um, but but since they're not running a campaign, you wonder how they're going to take credit for it. Well, how about that, Roger? There does seem to be this uh, this thought that, you know, Joe Biden keeps his elbows up on the barrel and kind of watches Republicans pick away at each other. But should this reelection campaign be engaging in the way that that Rick describes? I think they should definitely have an uptick. Um, I, I understand the fundamental strategy of as long as the former president has a large and relatively open stage that he'll continue to say and do things that alienate educated suburban women, essentially, um, and that that in itself um, could be a, a decisive part of how things go next November. But uh, by virtue of coming out of the pandemic, I think that there's st still some organizational exercise that needs to be done. And I think the Biden folks should be essentially running right now as if it's next year, um, because they didn't have all those days on the road, et cetera, coming into the um, in, into 2020 by virtue of the, the shutdown still somewhat in place. So in terms of getting out there and having a very agile, targeted, well-oiled surrogate machine, for example, yep. getting out there and having a very aggressive um, and targeted use of the first lady, for example, all of those things need to start now so that by the time you really need them, which is next spring, that they're essentially already up and running at 90 miles an hour and not just getting their toes on the starting line. President Biden referred to uh, Republicans and some of the discord in Washington here uh, Rick, and I, I just refer to that because some lawmakers on the Rules Committee were up until two o'clock in the morning or something uh, debating amendments on the NDAA, which this National Defense Authorization Act, which is traditionally sailed through on a bipartisan level. Uh, it's looking like uh, Speaker McCarthy is siding again with some conservative members of his own party who tend not to be big fans of him. Is there a chance that this actually does get bound up in a, in a partisan fight and we're not funding the Pentagon? You know, I, I, I worry less about the NDAA, uh, the National Defense Authorization Act, because it has a history of passing when nothing else will. Uh, and and in a bipartisan fashion, meaning whatever Republican votes you know decide to protest, uh, you can pick up Democrat votes to 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 offset that well offset that. Um, so. So I'm less worried about that. I am worried about Republicans just being rebranded on our global, you know, sort of uh, interventionist uh, security uh, philosophy that we've had since Ronald Reagan. And 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 Marjorie Taylor Greene's doing a great job of that. Right. She's capturing yeah. everybody's attention now that she's been 
booted out of the Freedom Caucus. Uh, and, and, and I read two articles back to back about her crazy ideas and getting out of NATO. And then another article that said, oh, and she's on the short list for, you know, uh, Donald Trump's vice president. I'm like, what? oh my God, the party really has changed a lot. So yeah, these messaging things aren't going to be helpful to anybody who gets the nomination, including Donald Trump. Uh, we only have 30 seconds, Rogers. Is this, is this going to pass? Ultimately, yes. It, it's bizarre that it's become this Christmas tree with all these cultural issue ornaments. Yeah. Um, and to touch briefly on the Marjorie Taylor Grant, I'm firmly in the Carrie Lake camp for vice president <laughs> in 2024 for the former president. So um, that's that's where that's where I'm at. That means he's um, threatened by Marjorie Taylor Green. I need to hear more about this. Uh, some final thoughts from Rick Davis and Roger Fisk ahead. They've wrapped the cocaine investigation at the White House. Big briefing today. You won't believe the outcome. Yeah, you will. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Big news today from the Secret Service. Big story in Washington. They wrapped the investigation into the cocaine. Now, a bag of cocaine ended up in the White House while the president was out of town. They even briefed lawmakers behind closed doors. Lawmakers including Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who, of course, uh, filmed a Twitter video before walking in. Hey, everyone. I am on my way into this restricted area uh, to go into a skiff to learn about the unclassified uh, information regarding the cocaine that was found at the White House. Um, I'm meeting with Secret Service agents, and I am determined to find out exactly what happened, where the substance came from, who is allowed in the White House without uh, going through security. Great questions. So who did it? (laughs) The agency says there's not enough evidence to conclude how this might have happened or who might have been responsible. Rick Davis and Roger Fisk with some final thoughts here. You must be surprised, Rick. What is this, the Supreme Court? Yeah, you know, I heard that when you're on cocaine, you feel invisible. I didn't know when you're on cocaine, you are invisible. This is really quite an, uh, you know, a, 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 an announcement by the Secret Service. That is pretty good. Now, uh, look, you guys both worked in the White House. Roger, you've been through that door. They were, this is off the driveway facing the old executive office building. You're go, going into the West Wing here. And it wasn't that far from the Situation Room. Are you telling me they don't have this on camera? Well, you know, it's not surprising to me that they weren't able to identify what what went on. Um, but according to Char- Charlie Pellet's update just a moment ago about the market, Coke stock is up. So at least someone's <laughs> benefiting from the earned media here. Wow, you guys were way too ready for that. Big thanks to our great panel, Rick Davis. Roger Fisk, smart analysis, and they're funny guys, too. I love these guys. Uh, Great conversation. Hour one of Sound On, the fastest show in politics, live from Washington. We'll add Kaylee Lines to the conversation coming up, hour two, and want to bring you into the room for a very difficult conversation the chair of the FTC had today. Another grilling before the Judiciary Committee. We'll have that next, only here. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Hour two of Sound On starts right now. Thanks for listening to the Sound On podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. 
And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Monogram at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.